I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 10 as we continue in our series Free, Free at Last. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 20 this morning. Listen to the word uh, of, of the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, go and to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart, the heart of his servants. I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell them in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country. And they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. They shall eat what is left to you after the hail. They shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. They shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh's servants said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God, but which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters, and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you if I ever let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. And so Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field throughout the the land of Egypt." Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin, please only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. And so he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt, but the Lord 
hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do pray, and we do ask you this morning that you would bless us. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to be attentive to your Word. We pray, Lord, that you, by the power of your Spirit, through your Word, would do that work in our lives. Continue to transform us, Lord. Continue to conform us into the image of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. As we all sit under the authority of your word, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've uh, quoted uh, Douglas Stewart's commentary a lot in this series, and uh, so I will again this morning. In his opening summary of this story, he writes, This account helps identify the real nature of the demand made by Yahweh on the Egyptian king and his people. Full, permanent exodus from Egypt by the Israelites. It's evident that Pharaoh understood this, for he tried to hold Moses to a literalistic interpretation of the demand by suggesting, contrary to the fact that if Moses' bargaining language were taken at face value, that is, if Moses were demanding only a three-day festival, only men would be required. He hardly would need to take the whole population along. Of course, Pharaoh was thinking, according to the Egyptian style, that women and children need not be involved directly in worship, something very different from what God had in mind for his people. Israelite worship was to be a family affair. And so I've titled this sermon this morning, A Family Affair. A Family Affair. He goes on to say the men played a key role in the actual offering of the sacrifice by the priest, but women and children also participated, both by observation and by eating the meal after it was prepared through the sacrifice process. Worship, brothers and sisters, in God's kingdom is a family affair. And I, and I think it's important in affirming this to remind us that in the Scriptures, God's covenant family isn't made up of just nuclear families bound together. Indeed, the destructiveness of our sin, as well as the calamities of living in a fallen world, has created in so many places throughout so many generations fatherless children, widows, orphans, single mothers, single fathers, divided families. It's hard to imagine that Egypt's oppression of Israel would not have resulted in some of these very realities, some of these very realities for the people of Israel. Slavery, as we have learned from our own history, has a way of destroying family life as God intended it. But in God's covenant family, those without a family or those discarded by family or those who are separated from family are included in his family. They are not thrown away. They are not discarded as they have been in places throughout history or as they are in so many places in the present. God takes them up, offering them a place in his own family, the family he's calling together from among all the families of the earth. God shows himself in his saving purposes to be exactly who he is described as being in Psalm 68, verses 5 through 6. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. 
He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Pharaoh, of course, was about to find out, was about to learn the truth of the last part of verse 6 of Psalm 68. Yet in God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, brothers and sisters, worship is a family affair. And it's a family affair because all of us, no matter our gender, no matter our socioeconomic status, no matter our ethnic heritage, our marital status, our immigration status, our national citizenry, were created to be image bearers of God. We owe our worship to God alone, meaning we owe our loyalty in all we think and all we say and all we do. We owe it to the Lord. And we don't just owe it to Him individually. We owe it to Him together. We owe it to Him in our corporate worship and service to God, and we owe it to Him in our corporate relationships with one another and with our neighbors. Christians, brothers and sisters, Christians' worship of God is to be a picture for the world of what the human family restored to God and restored to each other looks like. The Israelites needed to see that. The Egyptians needed to see that. America needs to see that. Indeed, all the nations of the earth need to see that. And God, in His confrontation with Pharaoh and His gods, shows us that in this story before us. So how does God, how does God, how does God demonstrate what the human family restored to Him and each other looks like? How does He demonstrate that? Well, He demonstrates it first and foremost, brothers, uh, He demonstrates that His covenant faithfulness is for the whole family. His covenant faithfulness is for the whole family. Listen again to verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among you, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord." You may know that I am the Lord. God makes, God makes clear in these verses that what He's doing in Egypt, His acts of faithfulness on behalf of His people are not only for the adults in the community. They are for our children as well. God's promise to Abraham was to be a God to him and a God to his children. And so all of the promises that God, that God makes to Abraham as a man belong also to his children. Not different promises, but the same promises. Not lesser promises, but the same great promises. Yes, it's, it's, it's true, it's true that, that, that parents and adults in the community are, are to teach in the immediate context of the story the things that God is doing in Egypt, but, 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 but the things that God is doing in Egypt it's for their benefit as well, for the benefit of children as well. And I want to speak directly to you young people this morning. And I want to encourage you that God doesn't just want to be God to you through your parents. He wants to be God to you. doesn't want to just be God to you through your parents. He wants to be God to you. He wants you to know that these stories of His faithfulness throughout the Bible, they're for your benefit. 
that you may know him as God and know that the same faithfulness that is there for your parents is there for you as well. The only thing he requires of you is faith. Faith in his son Jesus that you believe that he is the Lord and that you live for him in the world. But please know that when you do that, when you put your faith in him, all the promises of God, I'm going to say that again, all the promises of God that he makes to us as Christian adults are yours as Christian youth. Amen, people of God. The stories in the Bible, the stories in the Bible of young people whom God used for his glory are everywhere. (laughs) They're everywhere. God was not less powerfully at work in them, but as powerfully at work in them as he was in the adults in the community that he used to accomplish his purposes. All that was required was faith. So come here, David. Give me your slingshot and your five smooth stones, and I will use you to accomplish my glory. Amen, people of God. And so as God tells Moses, and by extension all of Israel, to pass these events in Egypt along to their children, he does it with the purpose that children might know that these stories of faithfulness are theirs too, to lead them in faith to the Lord. So I want to encourage you parents this morning, tell your children God's stories. Tell them God's stories of faithfulness and keep bringing them to church while they're young, even if they don't want to go, where they can hear these stories from the mouths of others. And here's the other thing, people of God. You heard me say it in the intro to this sermon. These stories aren't just for the children of intact Christian families. (laughs) These stories of God's faithfulness to his people are also for single moms. They're also for unmarried singles. They're also for widows. They're also for fatherless children. They're also for orphans. These stories are their stories too, (laughs) if they put their faith in the Lord Jesus. They are for those whom Peter describes when he is preaching on the day of Pentecost and proclaims, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. In other words, even adults and children outside the church are meant to hear these stories and be encouraged that faith in the Lord will bring with it all of the promises of God's faithfulness that is recorded in these scriptures. And so this promise, brothers and sisters, of God's faithfulness isn't just for some in the human community. They are for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And he's already told us that that everyone includes men, women, and children from among all the families of the earth. Amen, people of God. And so the call here this morning is to do exactly what the Lord instructed his people to do, is to tell our children the stories of the Lord's faithfulness. In our homes, in our corporate worship communities, we're called to recount before our children the deeds of the Lord. And this isn't work we should enter into begrudgingly as if ministry to youth is some lesser degree of ministry than other activities that we do together. In the text before us, Israel was to embrace this call to train uh, their youth in the stories of the Lord's faithfulness as a fundamental feature of their life together. And we must do the same. And to this end, I'm, I'm grateful 
that we are providing a children's Sunday school program this fall. I'm grateful that we've begun a youth ministry which plans to meet regularly this fall as well. And I pray that we will continue to think creatively about how to disciple our youth in making the faith their own and learning how to put that faith into practice as they participate in the life of the church. And as I said earlier, we must, in this commitment to our young people, keep in mind our call to be sensitive to and uniquely focused as a body, as the church of God, on fatherless children, on orphans, and single moms, to make sure we are ministering in ways that take their concerns seriously. And to this end, we must continue to train ourselves, not just in the message of the faith, but in how to share that message with the most vulnerable in our communities. Amen, people of God. So God demonstrates how the covenant family is restored to himself and to each other in demonstrating to us that his faithfulness is for the whole family. God's covenant faithfulness is for the whole family, but God's covenant feast is also for the whole family. Listen to verses 3 through 6. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country. And they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hell. And they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and all the Egyptians as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he returned and went out from Pharaoh. Then verse 7, then Pharaoh's servants said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do not, do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? And then verse 11, no, Go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you're asking. And they were driven out from the presence of Pharaoh. Despite their hardness of heart, God's current announcement of a, of a coming locust plague that will eat up the rest of the food supply that was left after the hailstorm, it, it gets the attention of, of Pharaoh's officials. Uh, their, their wealth and, and their privilege had, brought, had bought them some time to, to see if their gods might be able to turn the tables in their favor. Uh, and you should know this, the, the, the wicked, the wicked powerful, they're slow to believe that a day will come when their power will be broken. Their wealth and control often blind them to the truth that their rule is not ultimate. And so they either have their power tragically broken by the Lord in this life or they die and awaken to the truth that they were never in control in the first place. And though people and nations are often left to work through the trauma of their oppressive rule, glory be to God, they are not left to do it alone. For the Lord has promised us a world that will one day be free of all those wicked forms of power and walk with his people as we minister to this world, to people, to nations, left with the fallout of power, misabused, misused and abused. One of the places where uh, that power sometimes get misused is around worship. Uh, you, may be, you, you may have been struck by the officials' admonishment to Pharaoh to let the men go and worship. To let the men go and worship, indicating that they expected the women and children to stay. And Pharaoh, still holding stubbornly to his belief that, that he can dictate the terms of Israel's freedom, also tells Moses to go with the men 
the men only, to worship the Lord. Brothers and sisters, Pharaoh is not only mistaken about what God is demanding, the full freedom of his people from Egyptian slavery, he's also confused about the nature of the worship of the Lord. He thinks he can qualify God's worship as only requiring the involvement of adult males of Israel. But as I said in the intro, in God's kingdom, worship is a family affair. It's for everyone in the community. And what is more, and this is the point I want to drive home, worship in God's kingdom isn't a ceremony, it's a feast. It's a meal in which God's people are brought into communion with their covenant Lord. It's a family reunion in which we are drawn into loving communion with our God and with each other. In Pharaoh's kingdom and in his religious institutions, Israel has been starved, starved of dignity, starved of rights, starved of justice, starved of safety, starved of peace, starved of respect, starved of love, starved of opportunity. Let my people go, says God, because I have a feast prepared for them. I have a feast prepared in which they will be drawn into loving communion with their God and fed all the blessings which slavery in your kingdom has deprived them. Worship, brothers and sisters, is first and foremost not about what we're going to do for God. It's about what God is going to do for us. Amen, people of God. There's this beautiful imagery in Isaiah 61 in which God defines the nature of the Spirit's power at work in the ministry of His servant. And Jesus picks up this passage when He proclaims the nature of His ministry. And though Jesus doesn't quote the verses I'm about to read, He certainly has them in mind given the nature of His ministry. It reads, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Can I tell you that when you come into worship, when you come into worship, when you come into worship, that's what God longs to do for you. And that's what He longs to do for, for us together. He longs to anoint us with a reminder of His forgiveness over us. He longs to comfort us in those heavy trials we sometimes bring with us into this place. He longs to lift our spirits from the dungeons of despair that sometimes grip us. The call for you and I is to receive those blessings that God is communicating to us in worship. And I say receive because sometimes we come into this feast and our hearts are closed. Sometimes we come come into this feast and our hearts are closed, hardened by, by, by the week's problems hardened by, by, by the weak struggles. And I, and I want to invite you, if you don't do this already, pray for yourself and for the congregation before you come to worship on Sunday. Pray that God would open your heart and they would open the hearts of His people to receive the spiritual food that God wants to feed us 
on that day. And not only, not only on Sunday, but any time you enter into God's worship, open your heart to receive the spiritual food that the Lord wants to feed you. The, 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 the reason, brothers and sisters, the reason, brothers and sisters, is because you can't live life for God hungry. But I'm going to say that again. You, you, you can't live your life for God during the week hungry. Later in this narrative, God, God is going to give elaborate, elaborate details about the tabernacle and about worship. And I don't think he's doing this for the, for the sake of being elaborate. It's because God wants to ensure that nothing gets in the way of communion with him. Nothing gets in the way of him feeding you. of him eating with us and us with him. And glory be to God that now in Jesus the elaborate ceremonies have been removed, but the purpose of communion with his people have not. Don't just come in here out of obligation. Don't just come here out of rote. Don't, don't, just, don't just come here because, because, because it's, what, it's what you were told you were supposed to do on Sunday morning. Come in this place expecting that when you're here, God wants to minister to you. God wants to feed you. God wants to bless you in this space. He wants to remind you of who He is and who you are and who we are together in Him. Amen, people of God. God's. God's, God's covenant faithfulness is for the whole family. This feast is for the whole family. And God's covenant freedom is also for the whole family. Look again at verses 8 and 10. So Moses and Aaron were brought to Pharaoh, brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young. With our old, we will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, the Lord be with you if I ever let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me, verse 17. And then verse 18, so he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. I said, I said in the last point, that, that Pharaoh tried to qualify God's worship. It's also true that he, that he, that he, that, that, that he and his fish, officials tried to qualify the nature of God's freedom. Not, not only did they try and qualify it as a temporary freedom, but, but again, they tried to qualify it as a temporary freedom for males only. How many cultures throughout, throughout history and into the present have qualified freedom as being for some and not all, for men and not women, for white and not black, for rich and not poor, for educated and not uneducated. As human beings, we create ways to restrict freedom beyond the restrictions that God himself lays out for us in his word. And we do it to protect our own self-interest. Pharaoh didn't want to let Israel go, especially not now, given the decimation of his land. He had every intention of continuing to exploit the Israelites' labor in rebuilding his land. And don't think for a second that, that he wasn't mindful that if, that if something happened to the males as they traveled to worship the Lord, that he still had a future workforce and the children that remained. And through the exploitation of the bodies of the female slaves, 
Slavery is an ugly thing. Slavery is an ugly thing. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Once you determine that someone is less than you, you can justify doing just about anything to them. And so Pharaoh Pharaoh thought that he could qualify God's freedom, not realizing that God doesn't negotiate the terms of deliverance with oppressors. I'm going to say that again. God does not negotiate the terms of deliverance with oppressors. He doesn't negotiate the terms of deliverance with oppressors. God, God, unlike us, doesn't doesn't settle for compromises when it comes to freedom. The, The command was let my people go, period. No compromises, no negotiations, no study commissions to determine the meaning of the language let go. And, and, and if, you, if you had made the connection, you, 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 you'd be shouting right now because the reason you are saved this morning is because God does not negotiate with oppressors. He, he didn't ask Satan. He didn't, he didn't ask Satan if he could set you free. He, he didn't negotiate with death to release you from its grasp. He, he didn't make a deal with sin to release you for a time. No, God said, let go. Let go, Satan. Let go, sin. Let go, death. And, and, and the, reason, the reason he could do that for you is because he did it for the one who took on Satan, who took on sin, who took on death. He did it for the one whom Satan grasped through the evil hearts of oppressive men, men and women. He did it for the one who, who knew no sin, but whom our sins sent to the grave. He did it for the one whom death held on to on Friday. He did it for the one who death held on to on Saturday. But as the old preachers would say, early Sunday morning came a voice that cried out, let go. I don't know about you, but the reason I have hope in the middle of all the mess of the world, the the reason I keep fighting to resist the evil in me and the evil around me, the reason I keep participating in, in, in doing good in this world on behalf of my neighbor is because I know that all the evil I see around me will one day have to let go. And so I'm, I'm prepared. I'm prepared by the power of the Spirit to keep fighting for freedom, for God's freedom, for you as God's people and for my neighbors in the here and now with the hope of evil being forced by God to finally and fully let go. Though the fullness of that freedom will not likely come before I die, I know that when I die, (laughs) I will join with those saints in eternity, waiting in joyous expectation and hope for the new heavens and the new earth. There is no greater reason. There is no greater reason. There is no greater reason for us to be engaging in ministry to our neighbors and to our world than the truth that God in Christ has declared His let go. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to be, no, no, nor, nor do I want you to be in, engaged in acti- activism out of political motivation. I, I, I want you and us to be engaged in actively ministering God's love to our neighbors out of faith, the faith that says that in Jesus, God has declared His let go. For that reason, I want us to engage in feeding the hungry. For that reason, 
I want us to engage in walking with fatherless children. For that reason, I want us to engage in working along the lines that promote racial and ethnic solidarity. For that reason, I want to see a better relationship between police and communities of color. For that reason, I want to see an end to sexual abuse within and without the church. I'm not a Marxist, and I'm not a socialist, and I'm not any other ist other than the ist that is in Christian. And I do what I do, and I tell you to do what I'm telling you to do because the Lord tells us to do it, to declare His let go in this world. My only desire is to work and to encourage you to work in those spaces in our city and our world where people need to hear God's let go. And as you know, as you know, as you know, uh, we've been talking about working with folk in our neighborhood. Keep praying for that. Keep praying that the Lord would show us those places and those spaces where He wants us to enter in as a church and declare that in Jesus Christ, God has already announced His let go. Amen, people of God. Amen. Amen. Worship of the Lord, brothers and sisters, it's a family affair. And in that worship, God demonstrates what the human family restored to Him and what the human family restored to each other looks like. And in that worship, we see that God's covenant faithfulness is for the whole family. His covenant feast is for the whole family. And His covenant freedom is for the whole family. And that's a family of people from among all the nations of the earth. Amen, people of God. It's a family through faith in Jesus, through the faith in, uh, in Jesus Christ, the one whom pa- apostle, the Apostle Peter says has brought us back to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Amen, people of God. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you thanks. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for this feast of worship that you have laid out for us. And we thank you, Lord God, for the freedom you have won for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that that freedom, that feast, that faithfulness is for every single member of the family, the covenant family of God. And I pray, Lord God, that we as a church would give expression to that in the way that we do worship together, in the way that we minister to our city, in the way that we treat one another in this place. Father, I pray that every single member of this body would know, Lord God, would know your love for them, but would also know, Lord, what I said earlier when we were receiving our brother Jack into the church. I hope and pray, Lord, that every member of this body would know that they belong and know that they need the other members of this body. And I pray, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that all the blessings that you bestow upon us, we would receive those blessings individually, but we would also receive them corporately as the people of God, I pray. And ask this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen.